all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Angie Morgan. We have her on because of her service in the Marine Corps, uh, her life kind of before and after that, and her current uh, role as a uh, leadership guru and uh, author that we're going to talk about as well. Angie, welcome to Veterans Radio. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me, Jim. Well, Angie's up in God's country. She's in Traverse City, Michigan. Anybody who's ever, uh, at least in the summer, traveled up there, they know it's beautiful country. Um, and so Angie and I were comparing some weather notes today in February. Maybe it's not the best place to be, but it certainly is in the in the summer. But let's start with this, Angie. How did a nice girl like you end up in uh, the Marine Corps? Well, it's funny you're talking about location. I grew up here in northern Michigan, and this was a while ago, we'll just say that. And all I wanted to do was leave, which blows my mind right now, but this was pre-internet to date myself, and I was an avid reader, so I knew that there was this world out there that I just wanted to explore, and it wasn't in my backyard in Kalkaska, Michigan. And so the big, bold decision I had in high school was I'm going to go to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I went down there to see some friends. It blew me away. It just represented this diversity that I just really craved in my life and, you know, bigger city living, if you will, too. And then I got to Ann Arbor, and it was my dad, actually, who'd been in the Marine Corps, and he used to say, like, I don't know if women can join the Marines. I didn't see any when I was in the Marine Corps, (laughs) but I think they can, and there's this ROTC program. And so he turned my attention to it. There's only more to the story because I didn't go in you know, running and jumping, it was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. But I started off in Navy ROTC, but as soon as I got into the program, there was just something about the Marines in the program that drew me in. It was the camaraderie, their confidence. They had these things that I desperately wanted in my life, and I couldn't help but ask myself, can I do this? Can I be a Marine? 
Well, I think that's uh, there's a couple of life, life lessons there is. Sometimes somebody's pointing you in the right direction, and even though you're not really sure, it might still be the right direction, correct? Yeah, ultimately, yeah, it was my choice. My dad, you know, I think parents, I've got a 16-year-old who thinks I don't know anything, but I do know my child. I can say that with confidence, and I know the position he's in. You know, parents are stupid. What do they know about anything? Exactly. But yeah, parents know their kids, and my dad knew I was competitive. He knew I was athletic. He knew I was challenge-oriented, and I think he saw, too, that I didn't really have a plan. I was going to be an English major. I didn't really want to teach. He'd point out that there were no English factories in northern Michigan, so he didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> and so, very subtle on part of Dad. Yeah, very subtle. <laughs> exactly. So he, he's helped me see that maybe there's something more I could do to prepare myself for this, this life that I was excited for. And so uh, you graduated from the University of Michigan, and ROTC got you in the door as a as a Marine, and and now the hard part comes, right? It's all fun and games at ROTC, not really, but let's compare it to boot camp. What what's your mindset? And I have to think that a lot of your college friends were like, "No way! This how's what are you doing, Angie?" It was more, it's funny, it was more my high school friends, because what I found out in college that ROTC was a really small community within this broader, you know, school, because um, University of Michigan is a really large school, so I really found my friendships in the organization, still um, my, my best friends to this day, and so it was really wonderful to have that level of support, but to your point, um, yeah, a lot of people just didn't see, right? who I was in high school and who I was training to be. It was sort of a shock. And I also had that next shock after I graduated and went away for a six-month basic school experience. You know, up until that point, all the Marine Corps challenges were physical primarily. And that doesn't say that they were easy, but that was an area that I felt really confident and comfortable in. But now I was learning everything, tactical, weapons, you know, maneuvering positions, everything that a platoon leader would know how to, should know how to do. That to me was the overwhelming part, just going to the school of learning how to be in the infantry. It was as if every year of life up to that point didn't prepare me for this. I played with Barbies, not GI Joe. I just, there's a lot of things like basic things I wish I would have known. And it was just overwhelming. And I think everybody gets into that spot where their fear can easily overtake them about whether or not they can accomplish this. It sounds like uh, basic uh, school was a bit of a struggle, and maybe there were some of those uh, uh, demons um, talking in your ear as well. Yeah, I write a lot about it in a couple of the books that we've written. Um, Just your ego works over time when you're struggling. And, you know, as a woman, you can naturally go to, well, I'm a woman or, you know, I'm five foot three, the gear doesn't fit me. But then the good thing about the Marine Corps is they've got high standards and there's no escaping that. And so you learn like, okay, my excuses aren't really going to satisfy anything at this moment. It's on me to figure this out. And there's a self-reliance, a confidence that comes from that. It's almost like they planned it, right? Well, they w- and they want <laughs> they you to succeed, right? They want you to mm-hmm. succeed. They've invested a lot in you. I've had a lot of discussions with folks who go, yeah, it was man, I wanted to give up. But uh, as much as they were yelling at me, they were also 
you know, encouraging me to succeed. And I think sometimes in life, and whether it's a, as an employee or a spouse, uh, it's easy to say, well, I'll just give up. But there has to be an equal amount of we want you to succeed in there. Yes, and I, you know, I don't realize it at the time. I spend a lot of my time in a coaching space right now, coaching executives, and it just really dawned on me, you know, as the older you get, the more realizations and light bulbs that go off. Um, What dawned on me is that everybody had their own struggle. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be the best and brightest there, but some of my male colleagues had been the best and brightest anywhere they went, and now they weren't the best and brightest. So there's their hit. Or even colleagues who, you know, from, you know, hunting families didn't qualify as well as they did on the rifle range. I mean, we were all had our own little battle there. It was personal, important to us, but fortunately... Yeah, we had people who weren't going to let us fail. So we're going to talk, we're talking with um, Angie Morgan, and she and her co-author, Courtney Lynch, have written a number of management books we're going to talk about in a minute. But I want you to wrap up this portion of life because it's critical to this next portion of life that we're going to talk to, and, and that is um, your duties and responsibilities in the Marine Corps and how it shaped your views on uh, leadership and teamwork and those sorts of things? So I went to school, and in our fight song, there was a phrase, leaders invest. And I love our fight song. It's fun. It's great, right? <laughs> I know you live in an arbor. Amen, amen, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't learn leadership in college. A degree doesn't make you a leader. It's really action and behavior, and that's something that the Marine Corps drilled into us. And I didn't really appreciate it until I started working in the private sector and started to see how the term leader was thrown around as if our managers were leaders and leaders were managers. But I had a couple of really crappy bosses. They were not leaders. They didn't understand the fundamental tenets of, you know, lead by example, like things that were just ingrained and not just the Marine Corps, anybody who comes from a military background. And it was really in those moments, it just dawned on me, oh, people don't learn this in their careers. I learned it in the military, but not everybody goes in the military. And so it was around that time, my business partner, Courtney Lynch, who who was an attorney in D.C., we just put our heads together and really marveled at some of the things that were really unique to our military background that were allowing us to be successful in this new world and how could we package it. And so in around 2002, 2003, we started writing our first book, Leading from the Front. It was really written for women professionals, but I think the lessons of leadership that we share um, go beyond, you know, they're, they're not, um, they're, they're really available to all of us. And so that was our first step into really sharing our leadership knowledge that we picked up in the military to a broader audience. Well, and, and I believe that uh, you spent four years active and four inactive and, and uh, that Courtney Lynch spent nine years as a Marine officer. So you had that grounding, and then you both went into the business world before you came back to the consulting or coaching world. Uh, you did some pharmaceutical sales for Merck and Pfizer. Uh, one of those might have been the places where you had crappy bosses. Um, Maybe. <laughs> but, but, you, but you do have to experience n- not only the ways in which it should be done, but w- in ways in which it shouldn't be done. And I'm sure in the Marine Corps you saw uh, other officers, you say, well, I want to follow what she's doing. Man, I never want to be like that jerk. Yeah, absolutely. I, that 
That is very true because there are certainly egos and personalities in the military, and it isn't the producer of the most perfect leaders or perfect people. I think the foundational-based knowledge, though, is, is you know, the, the essence that we hope to share and inspire. And, it you know, and, too, and there's amazing leaders in the private sector who didn't go through the military. They may have had great mentors. They may have, you know, be really great readers. The, the information is available to us all. It's just being more open to understand that it's not the job title, it's the behavior, and how do you go about building those behaviors. And it's a science, and it's an art. And um, along the way, you also, I should say, went back and got your uh, Master's in Business Administration, MBA. So some of this, I assume, is kind of rooted in the academic work that you did as well. That's really important to us. You know, it's not, you know, Aunt Angie's voodoo about leadership that she cooked up in her garage. <laughs> exactly. I like to think that. We, we certainly follow, you know, best practices, but ultimately, what does the research share us? And that was interesting because we had, when we left the Marine Corps, we had, you know, the military's perspective, but didn't really know the research. But as you dig into the research, it's almost amazing how much what research shares with us, what the military is doing to produce leaders, just the, that it rings true. Well, and there may be no uh, job in the world that's more important for leadership than in the military. Um, certainly, it's a critical element of the civilian world, but the consequences of a bad leader aren't fatal. Um, maybe they hit the bottom line, but uh, th- that's all. Right. So uh, you uh, wrote another book in 2018 with Courtney called Spark. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so our first one was directly leading from the front. It was about military leadership principles, their application in the private sector. By the time we wrote Spark, we'd been working as consultants for quite some time, and we wanted to try to package up the behaviors of go-to people in organizations. We all know them, and we think sometimes they're born with those skills, like what makes them just magnets for, you know, choice projects? What makes them, you know, selected for really popular, you know, projects or teams? And it's not because of genetics. It's it's really coming down to behaviors. And what if we were to teach those behaviors? How could those impact individuals? How could they impact teams? And how could they help organizations drive results better, faster, quicker? And so Spark really is about seven leadership behaviors that we think are very fundamental to somebody's ability to lead. You know, not be a manager, but be a true leader, somebody who influences outcomes and inspires others. Well, you've used the term a couple of times, so I know it's critical to your core thinking, and that, and that is uh, behavior. Give us some examples of what you mean so that the veteran radio audience understands what Angie Morgan's talking about when she says, hey, it's about action and behavior. Yeah, and so, again, going back to these core definitions of leadership, if you're to build influence and to be an inspiration to other, what is what are the behaviors? What must you do to get there? And the fundamental number one thing we talk about in our work is trust. People have to trust you. Um, and trust isn't, it, in many ways, is very intentional. It's by, you know, demonstrating and expressing your character, knowing your values, and let them show up in your life. And it's also about being credible to people. We have a phrase called your say-do gap. And what's the space between your action and your words? And people are looking, important people are looking. 
And I think sometimes, many of us, unintentionally, we can get so busy that we're not thinking about our consistency, that we're not thinking about our commitments and following through. Over time, we do lose credibility with people. And that can be to our, you know, significant detriment. We talk and write a lot about confidence because confidence not only allows you to level up in regard to your performance, but also it inspires confidence in the best in other people. So we try to demystify that to say like, okay, if you want to build your confidence, what's the strategies? What are the things you should be doing to get there? So the, and of course, we, gotta, we can't talk about leadership if we don't talk about accountability. And so how do you demonstrate accountability? And there's some pretty superhuman forces working against us when we think about being accountable leaders. Um, one is physiological responses when problems abound. You know, physiologically, it's, you know, fight, flight or freeze. <laughs> what do we want to do here? We don't want to step up and, you know, say, I did it and run towards the problem. And then even psychological challenges. Um, our egos are really, really amazing dynamic things. They want us to not be wrong. And they'll not allow us to be wrong if it were up to them. Well, and sometimes so, you, that's the whole key is you got to say, yep, I goofed up. <laughs> you know, yeah, I did something wrong. It's, yeah. yeah. It's let, funny let, because... My son brought a math test home tonight, just tonight, right before this call. And let's just say that, again, he comes from the English factory. <laughs> <family> <laughs> so I forgive him for his grades often. But um, he just said, you know, he's pulling out his homework. He's like, I took the test today. I didn't really do well. I want you to know so you don't get upset with me. I went with my teacher. We went through the corrections, and I think I know what I'm doing now. And that was the most accountability I've ever seen. Him Holy express. cow! From a from a sixteen year old, some, you and your husband are doing something right. But then again, he also served in the Marine Corps for fourteen years, so I suspect there's some discipline along the line. So well, let me. You don't know how many missteps and fumbles we've had on, the, on like how many mad mom faces. <laughs> right. But but it was amazing. Like I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like, sure, am I disappointed? Yeah. But am I really? No. He got the right response. So let by it, the way, that does not happen. I mean, my boys don't respond to my leadership coaching <laughs> in general. They so, don't care. So we've got uh, Angie Morgan on the phone. She's a Marine uh, leadership uh, consultant and coach. She and her partner, Courtney Lynch, also a Marine a lawyer, uh, have a business called Leadstar, L-E-A-D-S-T-A-R dot U-S. You can find more about them there. But I want to turn in the, now to an upcoming book that the two of you have written that's coming out uh, later in 2022, I believe. Bet on you, how to win with risk. What was the driving concept behind it? Well, I think for both of us that we've written a lot about leadership in general, we wanted to drill into a concept that we hear the people we coach, work with, advise, talk about often, but don't necessarily truly understand it and um, have this really negative perception of it. And it's about taking risks. And so when we started our journey into just the research around risk, one of the things that made us aware is that we, we in general, um, are pretty risk-averse people, but that wasn't always. You know, it started off small, and it kind of snowballed along the way. We're entrepreneurs. We've been in business for quite some time. 
Um, and so we've built our risk muscle, muscle over time. And we started, we started going back to the origin, like what helped us become, you know, a little bit more risk averse. And so what's fascinating about the research is that we learn about risk primarily through our parents and their perceptions of risk, of risk taking. Primarily our mom, though. Like our mom has a tremendous amount of influence over how we, anyone, views risk taking. And so it's a learned behavior, essentially. And if it's a learned behavior, you can learn new behaviors about risk. And there's a lot of misconceptions about risk, like risk is the opposite of reward. But the reality is the path to reward. If anybody thinks about all the significant things they've done in their life, like, you know, get married, had kids, bought a house. Join the Marines. You know, go in the Marines or even start their own business. There's a tremendous amount of risk. But, you know, some risks are more popular or societal approved, like getting married is tremendously risky. Your success rate is 50-50. That's not, you know, I was going to say, you know, invest $100,000, you'll either lose half, you'll you have a 50-50 chance of winning or losing. You may not take that bet. But, but those are popular risks that our society improves. And when we get older in life, um, our dreams and our ambitions become more unique to our life experiences. And so we don't always have the confidence or the courage to take those risks. Well, I think it's so important to identify that risk may be holding you back. And it's very easy to to sort of go, hey, play it safe. Nobody ever got ahead by sticking their hand up and volunteering. We all learned that Mm -hmm. one in the military. Um, But, you know, you can't live life without risk. You can't be in business without risk. You can't... uh, be in a marriage, if you will, without risk. But some of this, it sounds like, is you help folks realize they're dealing with the risk factor and then deal with it. Don't don't let it control your decision-making without uh, a full appreciation of what's going on. And you said the perfect word, and we write about this. We call it the play-it-safe paradox. You know, growing up, we are taught to play it safe, even in our nursery rhymes, like Little Red Riding Hood. You know, if you stray from the path and talk to strangers, you could kill your grandma. Like, stay on the path. <laughs> don't talk to strangers. Yeah, don't kill grandma. So, so we're taught these things, but there comes a time in life where staying on the prescribed path and not talking to strangers can hurt you. And so, yeah, you, you have to recognize that there will be a time when you have to take risks to get what you want. Well, I'm pretty I- excited. It's a, it was a fascinating topic to research. It was super enjoyable to write about and we are launching in april well that's fantastic the book will be coming out in april of 2022 bet on you how to win with risk and i think this also folds back into experiences everybody's had in the military nothing goes as planned you know after the first punch the fight is on and and you have to then make decisions and take a risk of going on an alternate path or a different approach. And and it seems like we do kind of get that um, drummed out of us to, to play it safe and, uh, you know, whether it's financially or personally. But it really is, uh, no decision is without a certain amount of risk. Isn't, isn't that the case? I hear you. And I think it's, you know, funny. Two people say, I don't take risks. These are often the people who haven't had a health check in the past three years. Or maybe keep all their stocks in one, you know, employer pool or, you know, stay in unhealthy relationships. 
we take risk all the time and sometimes not making decisions are, is taking a risk. And so we're trying to illuminate that with readers and give them the courage. Like this isn't a new concept for you. You're doing it already. Now, what if you learn more about it? How can you le- leverage this for your advantage? And uh, LeadStar is a uh, leadership development consulting firm. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of uh, how you help corporations or individuals, uh, Angie, in that process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So our business has been around for nearly 20 years, and we partner with businesses and organizations primarily to help them develop their talent strategies And often this requires a tremendous amount of leadership coaching for senior leaders and managers, but often, too, training, um, you know, throughout the organization because leadership isn't just for the managers and the supervisors um, and the executives. It's something that anybody can develop and learn. And so we really, I would best summarize it by saying, you know, we're primarily leadership coaches, but we really work best with businesses to help them with talent strategies. Let me come back to uh, your upcoming book, Bet on You, How to Win with Risk, because you you said you learn a lot of risk from your mom. I guess I'm wondering, or risk management, I guess I'm wondering as you did the research and and spent the time thinking about this, did you find that there's a gender or ethnic or other um, differential on how risk is handled? So the research some of the gender areas are are pretty interesting. You know, like men are more risk forward with their finances and women will be more risk forward when it comes to their values. They'll take a, you know, they may not take a stand for their salary in negotiations, but if they see wrong in an environment, they'll take a stand there. And we don't go too deep into the, those distinctions, but it was fascinating to um, see that revealed in the research. Interesting. Well, we're talking yeah, to I so too. Like, I, it makes sense, right? I know many women who don't right push hard in negotiations for salaries. Well, and they get very conservative in their finance. I think we, you know, as a if you want to take a broad statement, that's probably the case. Mm-hmm. You can sit on the sidelines because of risk and miss miss the upturn in the market. Now, you might have missed the downturn, but you're really going to miss that upturn over time. We're, we're talking to Angie Morgan, a Marine, a leadership uh, uh, consultant, um, an author of three books. The upcoming book, Bet on You, How to Win with Risk, is coming out soon. Um, your website is leadstar.us. And uh, w- where can the books be found? Anywhere books are sold. It's, like I said, coming out April 29th. And anywhere you can buy books, you can buy Bet on You. Well, we really appreciate you taking some time today, Angie Morgan, to talk to veteran radio listeners about your pathway into the Marine Corps and into the business world and ultimately into this world of being a leadership uh, consultant and coach. I was so honored to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, 
you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed. <laughs>